And this is Mike Fader. Stay tuned for The Turning Point with me. Simone, looking for an all-purpose American struggle, women, blacks, misogyny, racism, struggling, struggling up from, um, from the bottom, and a very strange life journey. There's a documentary on uh, Nina Simone. I think it's called, <clears throat> I don't remember anymore. It's like, What Happened, Miss, Miss Simone, something like that. Anyhow, she's really something. Um, before we start, first of all, I apologize to everybody for not being here live uh, last week. I barely was live. I had a lot of um, serious flu symptoms, some of which I still have. And uh, <clears throat> going to some specialists to try to deal with my uh, throat and my voice. So maybe some year that'll get better. Anyhow, I was busy with medical things last Friday. 
Thank you to everybody who wrote in and said, where were you? I'm glad somebody's um, paying attention. Here's an announcement before we start out today. <clears throat> to everyone who has a smartphone, and I think that's most of you, the Progressive Radio Network now has an app. All you have to do is go to the app store on your cell phone, your smartphone, not a dumb phone like mine, and search the Progressive Radio Network. On this app, you can listen to live PRN shows, and also you can listen to archive shows, shows from the past. All right. Um, water and, uh, let's see. <clears throat> so, what's new? What's new, uh, among a million other things, is that asshole Trump had his annual physical the other day. And, uh, of course, he has been found by his own physician, <laughs> not that he would go in front of a, a neutral panel, by his own physician, to be in great health, <clears throat> more or less great health. He has high cholesterol, of course. <clears throat> How can he not from all the junk food he eats? And, um, but what's interesting is they didn't release any blood pressure uh, figures. Uh, his blood pressure must be very high. But he takes uh, medicine for the um, cholesterol, and they revise it upwards. And I don't know if he takes medicine for blood pressure, but um, he probably should. <clears throat> but then there are people who um, are secretly hoping, secretly praying or hoping that um, that uh, he gets a stroke or he gets a heart attack. I mean, it's an awful thing to say about anybody, I guess. I don't know. But people think that. Maybe they don't say it out loud. Uh, some people think that. and uh, But, you know, you got to be careful what you wish for, of course, because what will we have then? We have Pence, who is uh, a very uh, disturbed, right-wing, misogynistic, um, uh, very conservative, um, you know, Christian fundamentalist, um, you know, um, man who is uh, better at being political. So he would even do less to alienate people than Trump. Sometimes Trump didn't get what he wanted done or hasn't gotten uh, done what he wanted to because he is so outrageous. So if uh, Pence is um, more low-key, he could probably get even more done, which is very alarming. <clears throat> Anyhow, Trump had, um, and they made a big issue of this in all the papers, of course, apparently he asked for this, which I don't necessarily believe, but probably he was convinced to do this. Uh, a basic what's called cognitive functioning test, which are, which are just um, <clears throat> simple questions, simple questions of memory and motor function, really. Um, it's, um, it's a te very simple test. There's like 30 questions to it, and um, he identifies certain animals. He identifies um, where he is, what day it is, what, what year it is, things like that, and shows his ability to... Uh, shows motor function, which can, um, if it's off, like mine is, it can show um, um, deep problems in your actual um, brain. Of course, you know, so it shows that he's, uh, he had a perfect score, <laughs> a perfect score on the cognitive um, functioning test. But of course, um, in the simple, uh, well-understood uh, language that we all speak, he's crazy. He's more than a little crazy. And he's crazy in a very uh, personal way, of course, the way he was brought up, how he is. And he's crazy in an American way, which is a whole other thing. But these kind of tests are just really designed to show if somebody either has, like, really Alzheimer's or dementia or is close to being psychotic. You know, these don't really measure the kind of real 
<clears throat> serious, damaging, crazy that this guy is. Of course, it's always a toss-up. And I think most people think this is... Uh, <clears throat> what, what is the, where is the line drawn between how actually out of control he is, how he really doesn't know what he's saying um, or doing, and the effects of what he says and does on other people? And um, um, how much of this is... Uh, Shrewd, shrewdness, that he knows being a performer all his life, that uh, he can get people to react a certain way uh, if he acts a certain way. So it's, so in other words, it's premeditated, some of this in apparently crazy stuff. I don't know. <clears throat> Cognitive functioning test. I had a test like this on what was probably in a lifetime of being very disturbed, um, the craziest night of my life. Uh, I was... Um, 25 years old, and I was in the emergency room of Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, a place I don't know what it's like now, because that was like 40 years ago. This is a place that you would never, never, the last place on earth you would want to be, aside from a war zone, and kind of like it was a war zone. There were cops throwing people around, smashing people up against the wall. Um, they brought people in and uh, screaming, covered with blood. This is the kind of place it was. And um, so there I am. It's a Saturday night. And later I found out it was a full moon, too. Um, I had, um, for a couple of months past, gotten crazier and crazier, less less able to function. Um, and for the past two days before I was brought over there by my father and my uh, ex-wife, now ex-wife, but my uh, then current wife, uh, I had actually been hallucinating. And I was seeing things. I was hearing things that weren't there. Um, light poles on the street actually were turning colors. It was really very beautiful. I suppose if you were on a trip and you were less disturbed than I was, I don't know. It might have been very interesting or even beautiful. But light poles were bending towards me and turning all kinds of colors, not the usual steel gray color. Um, when I was riding on a bus, I was uh, people on the bus... I felt like they were all looking at me. They had uh, red eyes, like uh, vampires or whatever else has red eyes. Bats, I don't know. And um, teeth growing out of their mouth, looking at me. Homicidal, I was. Suicidal. I was frozen with terror. The world was reduced to a kind of sensory hell, like I was in a little um, fetal position, practically, which is, in fact, what I wound up being, eventually, in the hospital. Just curled into a ball. Uh, inside and out, I felt basically like some small injured animal uh, in the jungle, you know, about to be devoured any second. And the psychiatrist asked me uh, some questions and showed me a couple of pictures. What's this? A sheep. <laughs> they didn't have a picture of a, of a bat from hell or, um, you know, um, um, something from uh, from uh, from outer space. They just had, you know, sheep. They had uh, cows, whatever it was. They asked me what day it was. I knew what day it was. They asked me what year it was, and I knew what year it was. It was 1971, and who the president was. It was Nixon then, and um, <clears throat> they didn't ask me about uh, where we were fighting uh, an immoral and horrible war, but that was Vietnam. In fact, it was during Vietnam. The, the, the entire, I was crazy, uh, basically because I should have been married. I was there with my first wife. I've had three. And um, it was like uh, like getting a nine getting a nine year old to be married. I had no idea about being a grown up. I mean, I still don't. But when I was 
25 years old and uh, married to this woman, this poor woman. Um, I had, you know, it just uh, from the minute that we actually got married, uh, I got a migraine headache that night, and um, it never stopped. It just got worse. So um, anyhow, well, the whole country then was upside down anyhow. Huh? So it's funny how these things go together sometimes. Like uh, you could feel crazy and the entire world is crazy at the same time. Anyhow, um, being married was not something um, <laughs> for a child like me. And I th- it's almost like one way I figured out, not, not that I did it on purpose, one way I got out of being married was to basically go crazy because several months after that, I was not married anymore. Anyhow, I, <clears throat> I assume they asked Trump who the president was, and apparently he got that one right. Um, I wonder actually if he said uh, Donald Trump, he answered Donald Trump, or me, I am. Of course, I never said I was the president. Uh, at the time they asked me, that would have been probably a bad sign. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I wonder what an MRI of his brain would show. The kind of crazy he is uh, might not necessarily show up on a picture of his brain. You know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, personality disorders or, I mean, serious mental illnesses, some of which he probably has that don't show up. They take a picture of your brain. It shows certain things. It can show a lot of things, but I don't think it can show that. I don't, again, I don't think so. Anyhow, Trump's, uh, like I said before, the, Trump's craziness is um, a kind of perfect storm of very personal uh, craziness. And you, you can read, the, read about his life. And particularly American cultural insanity, by which I'm generally meaning, you know, grandiosity, superficiality, greed, violence, bigotry, uh, like, you know, good old American stuff. <clears throat> Actually, the other day, I went to get an MRI of my brain. I did. Something I probably should have done a few years ago after I spent eight hours on a heart-lung machine, but I've been afraid to do it. Um, after that, after being on that heart-lung machine, I have never walked right or had the same sense of balance, and there are other things wrong, too. And since this has not improved over the last four years, but only gotten worse, unfortunately... I finally decided to go to a neurologist who specializes in this kind of thing. And she told me that the thing to do was to get a, to get a better idea of what happened uh, on the operating table there and what still might be happening. I need to get an MRI. So finally, that's it, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't really want to know. Do I want to find out if I'm permanently going to be this way forever? I mean, um, that's one reason I've been avoiding this. I mean, what will I do if I find out that there's no way... That guy can never uh, repair this problem or uh, that it will get worse. On the other hand, knowledge is important, right? To know what's causing something. And like I say, I've been avoiding it. Uh, One reason is I guess I hope that by some magical process, maybe an actual miracle, some kind of God-given miracle, that it would all get better. And also I'm avoiding this for a simple reason. I have horrible claustrophobia. I mean, really bad claustrophobia. I cannot stand to have my head covered or obscured in any way. I mean, I never even wore hats when I was a kid or until I got older and couldn't handle the cold without one. Anyway, I called the place that does the MRIs, and I made an appointment. And the best they could do for my claustrophobia problem was to give me an, L, an open MRI. If you've ever had an, an MRI and you're claustrophobic, then you know what I'm talking about. They had these machines. If they're not open, it's basically you go into a narrow tube and your arms... Your, your feet are sort of together, and you're sort of locked in, and your arms are at your side, and then they tell you, you know, don't move, and your head is facing up, and whatever it is. If they're going to take um, 
an MRI, which is a kind of a picture that uh, takes thing, pictures of things by magnetic. It's called magnetic resonance imaging. I don't know. Invented, no doubt, by, I'm sure, by a German. Um, why do I say that? I don't know. Pure rationality. <laughs> They're locking you in a room and uh, a big machine is doing something to you. I don't know. So, um, but I've had many MRIs. Uh, <clears throat> a very bad sprained ankle that the x-ray didn't show anything. They wanted to find out. Torn ligaments. It's for something that the x-ray doesn't show, like a torn ligament. Um, you know, it's, uh, a, a tendon that's bad, some other minor uh, break, a very minor break that um, the x-ray doesn't catch. So I've had them before. But every time I had one, it was uh, some part of my body below my neck. I never had one of my head, and I always tried to avoid that because the claustrophobia was terrible. I mean, it always has been, still is. And you know, I called the place and made the appointment and um, got the open MRI. <clears throat> and... Um, so my wife and I went there. She was helping me out. Uh, God help me if I didn't have her. So I show up early for the appointment. I fill out all the, uh, the endless forms, and I sit and wait. And I'm, in a, of course, in a worse state of anxiety than usual. And, I'm, you know, my legs jumping up and down, and I'm twitching, and I'm worried, and what's going to happen, and I'm going to be able to do it. And, uh, of course, I've been preparing uh, for this because for many, many years, for decades now, I've been meditating. So I do know how to close my eyes. <clears throat> it's sitting up, anyhow. I do know how to close my eyes and just breathe and um, let my thoughts go. I can do that somewhat successfully for 10 or 20 minutes. The test is, they said, about 25 minutes. So I'm counting on that. And um, while I'm sitting there, I'm looking around. And uh, at this, you know, waiting room where everybody's in there and people are very concerned, of course, because a lot of people are coming in there to, to find out things that they really would rather hope that they never hear, and they're hoping for the best results. They don't want to hear bad news, but everybody's very concerned, right? And uh, I'm looking around, and, and I'm looking around where the bathroom is in case I need the bathroom. And I see there's a couple of signs on the bathroom door, right? You know, uh, one says, gender-neutral bathroom. Gen it doesn't say bathroom. It just says, it doesn't say men's room. It doesn't say women's room. You know, it's one room for everybody. But it says, gender-neutral bathroom. And right away, you know, this seems irritating and vague to me. What does gender neutral mean? It sounds, to me, it sounds meaning neutral. I mean, two words have been combined now uh, to make a non-word. Forget about gender fluid, which is, you know, that's something else entirely. But gender neutral. What kind, what kind of word is that? What does that mean? Why don't they just say bathroom for men and women or women and men? Or even use that, uh, you know, that stupid old word unisex, which has been around for decades, I think since the 70s, right? Everybody knows what that means. By now, everybody knows what that means. And uh, anyhow, I'm sitting there, and I'm telling my wife how stupid this seems to me. And as usual, <laughs> as usual, she's telling me to keep my voice down a little and to just ignore it. You know, don't pay attention to it. It's not important. But uh, um, it's even, but the, but the signage on the door gets even more vague and ridiculous, because right below that sign, in case the meaning of gender neutral escapes some people, and why shouldn't it, <laughs> is a graphic sign, right? You know, um, now you know, in most public places where there's a bathroom for both sexes, there have been for a long time now the usual sign. It's a black icon of what is meant to be a man, and next to him. 
uh, what is meant to be a woman. Uh, the female figure is distinguished from the man, I guess, by virtue of the fact that she has longer hair, um, or even some hair, because the man's head is sort of like a bowling ball, of course. He has no hair at all. And she, uh, the person who's supposed to be she, is wearing a skirt. Okay, so now we know one next to the other, it's a man and a woman. Okay, this is something we're used to. Um, however, I mean, I'm thinking, is it now, is it sexist to assume that all women have longer hair and wear skirts? I don't know anymore. I have no idea anymore in this... Uh, Land of challenging gender roles, gender fluid fluidity, whatever the hell that means, and behavior, I feel like I'm caught in a great cultural sexual fog bank, and I hardly have my bearings anymore, so I don't know. But anyhow, so there's the male, there's the female. But this sign included um, something I had never seen before. There was a third icon, a third icon. <clears throat> there was a figure on one, on one side that, uh, that uh, so here's the male the female, and then next to the female, um, it's another figure. On one side, this third figure had longer hair and a skirt, and on its other side had just a round head and no skirt. In other words, female on one side and male on the other. So what is it supposed to mean? I guess it's supposed to mean a human, right, a human being, who is either not sure who they are or more likely consider themselves both male and female, something like a hermaphrodite, I guess. So um, everybody knows by now that a bathroom with a sign that indicates men and women is for everybody. Do we really need to add a third amorphous, basically asexual figure, something bizarre like from a, a science fiction or a horror story? I tell you, you know, I mean, obviously, I think all this stuff is getting really ridiculous. This hyper-political sexual cultural awareness is distorting and deflating language and turning simple signs into voyages into the unconscious. I mean, it's really, uh, it's really nuts. <sighs> on the other hand, on the other hand, it's obvious that things like this are part of a vast change in our culture. Our language, uh, for instance, language is, uh, has to be changed or is changing or will change. Um, things that you've been hearing all your life, my age, I guess. The Marines are looking for a few good men. So now it's got to be the Marines are looking for a few good men, women, and um, gender-fluid people. <laughs> Takes a little away from the drama of the uh, slogan, right? Uh, what about men working signs, right? Men working. Seen that in a million places, men working. Well, that's changing, uh, but not changing everywhere. Maybe if it's just men, then it's still accurate, right? Like right now in my building, uh, this giant apartment building I live in, they're pointing the bricks outside, which means they're fixing, getting rid of all the old bricks and putting the new bricks in. It involves a tremendous amount. It's like hell for anybody who stays home a lot like I do. Uh, they're drilling and screaming and, ha and banging and hammering, and you have to keep your windows closed. It's nuts. Uh, but in fact, like I say, it is just men on this crew working. So the sign's accurate. But, you know, the sign could easily say persons working. I mean, they just mass turned them out from a computer, from a printer somewhere. And, of course, for, uh, for years now, street repair signs uh, have, uh, oh, I guess what you call a gender-neutral uh, icon. It's a hard-hatted figure with a shovel, not necessarily a man, although it doesn't have long hair and a skirt. So maybe it's, I don't know. But <clears throat> all this stuff, all this stuff is going to resolve itself eventually. It always does. It inevitably does. But all the old sayings, the old slogans, the phrases, the poetry that we've been 
used to for many decades. Mankind, you know, that'll be humankind. No man is an island. Um, we're not going to rewrite old poems. I suppose some people would do that, but they would, of course, ruin the whole meter and the, uh, the drama of it. But um, things change. Whatever this, whatever this revolution, uh, whatever this backlash is or will be, it's an everyday. It's an everyday thing now. It's in every single thing that you see, you hear, common interactions. It's everywhere, uh, not just here, but it's changing all over the world. Not changing fast enough for a lot of people, though, unfortunately. Um, there are cases in courts now about gay rights versus the rights of small businesses to refuse certain kinds of customers that uh, that don't seem moral or Christian to them. Right. In other words, they're pitting gay rights against religious rights all against the backdrop of the Constitution. And you look at the newspaper, there are, there are more and more articles about men's horrible treatment of women everywhere on the planet. And this is, this is way overdue, uh, not just uh, to know about this, but of course um, uh, to do something about it. And nothing could be done about it. I mean, you have to have awareness first, right? Uh, there's an um, so increasing number of articles like this, um, stories everywhere on the Internet, on TV. Also a lot of articles about the courage and triumph no matter how small, of women in the worst um, anti-female cultures, right? A lot of these things are, are sort of minor favors and things granted by men, but, um, but nevertheless, progress is progress. Um, but there are still some places in the world, and you read about the horror stories of rape and, um, and all kinds of other things, and things men have been always doing to women, but now it seems almost worse. But maybe that's just because we know more about it. Um, on my MRI, by the way, I went through it without being carried off screaming to a locked ward. I used all my uh, breathing techniques, and uh, I discovered also, if you've ever had an MRI, that they have these very loud sounds for three-minute and five-minute shots, boom, 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 like this. I discovered that 90% of them are very rhythmic, so I just added my own rhythm, like I was playing uh, in a sort of a drum quartet. That worked out okay to pass the time. The good news is, I guess, <laughs> I guess this is good news, is that I actually do have a brain, just like the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. I always had one all along, and uh, I know this because the technician conducting the test told me at the end, well, we got some good pictures. Um, he sounded like, uh, actually, <laughs> he had been to outer space and took some great pictures of the Earth, right? He was, well, I was a scientist, technician. Anyhow, like I say, I guess it's good news. Uh, there have been numerous times in my life, uh, believe me, when I wish I didn't have a brain at all. The brain has not always been a very big gift to me, especially having one that's um, overactive or sees or hears too much. Um, and I, I always sort of uh, sometimes wished that I was uh, brainless. Um, I mean, I've acted brainless, but that I was actually brainless, like maybe like a plant, you know, or a cow in the pasture. I don't know. I always thought ignorance was bliss, but it's not really true. And the world is uh, so increasingly nuts. Uh, uh, sometimes ignorance does seem like bliss. Why do so many people get high all the time? Not just because they're poor or because they're addicts, because they can't stand it anymore. Now, as far as the, uh, the wretched lot of women in the world, there was an article in the paper the other day, <clears throat> and I wanted to uh, talk about it somewhat. <clears throat> Let me have a little water first. Destroy your eardrums with my throat problems. This is, uh, I wonder if you could always get, if you could get away with this kind of thing on, um, I used to do this sometimes on what was called terrestrial radio, where they had very strict rules. I don't know if they still do, where the FCC said, 
and they made it clear to us when we worked at BAI, <clears throat> where I was for like 25 years, that uh, silence is the worst thing in the world on a radio. Of course it is, right? People are tuning in. They're tuning by. You want to get ears. You want people to listen. How can people listen if there's nothing to listen to? But on BAI, because there were so many eccentric, often brilliant people on BAI, I don't necessarily include myself, but eccentric I do, sometimes people would do that. They'd say, uh, <clears throat> you know, and they'd take some time off. They'd say, well, I'm, I'm going to go out of the room for a second. I'll be right back. Or um, Steve Post, who's on BAI and then uh, on NYC for a very long time, used to just go into a pause sometimes because he felt like he needed to or there was some other reason his mind blanked out. And he'd come back on and say, that was brought to you, that moment was brought to you by the New York Public Library, or whatever. But that we were always told that we would lose our license if you were silent for too long. I don't know. Anyhow, this, uh, this article appeared in the New York Times, um, and it says, In rural Nepal, menstruation taboo claims another victim. Kathmandu, Nepal. The reporter's reporting from Kathmandu. The last time anyone saw Gauri Kumari Bayak alive, she was gathering grass and firewood. Considered impure because she was menstruating, she was about to sleep outside in a cold hut. She never woke up. According to the police, Miss Bayak is the latest victim of a very old tradition in rural Nepal, in which religious Hindus believe that menstruating women are unclean, and should be banished from the family home. Can, can you, Michael, Lenny, Lenny Bruce, can you dig this? I mean, in which religious Hindus believe that menstruating women are unclean and should be banished from the family home. She was found dead on Monday, apparently having asphyxiated after building a small fire inside the hut to keep warm. In Nepal, one of Asia's poorest countries, Dozens of women and girls have died in recent years from following this tradition, despite activists' campaigns and government efforts to end the practice. Menstruating women, listen to this, menstruating women um, often trudge outside at night to bed down with cows and goats in tiny, rough, grass-roofed huts and sheds. Many have been raped by intruders or died from exposure to the elements. Um, and this is, you know, what's new, right? Uh, paternalism, ignorance, misogyny, violence. So like since the time of the Neanderthals and still going strong in various parts of the world. Um, uh, Middle East, Africa, uh, some parts of South America, but mostly the Middle East and Africa. Um, <clears throat> apparently, obviously, every country has its Okies from Muskogee, Right. Uh, the bone-ignorant, religion-addled populations who hate everyone, not just like, who's not just like them, and do things just because it's the way it's always been done. No, we can't do it different. Can't do it in any different way. No, 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 no. They don't know exactly what will happen to them. I guess they have a vague understanding that God or the gods will kill them all if they do it any different. So this is uh, the great rationalization for treating people like shit and stealing from people and murdering people, right? Uh, and, you know, this is in rural areas or out in the jungle or in, uh, in the mountains or out in the way out in the country. Right. Um, now, cities, everybody knows cities are no place. You know, cities can be sinkholes of impersonality. When you go to a city, you lose uh, you lose track of who you are. You can go nuts in a city and um, cities are, are 
you know, uh, temples, insane, out-of-control temples of commercialism and inhumane behavior. But it's really always the rural areas in the world where really where you get religiously inspired ignorance uh, predominating. I mean, why that is, uh, I guess maybe is it obvious or there are certainly there are reasons for it. But people come to cities, a lot of people come to cities to escape that yoke of ignorance. Uh, it's happened, I, I, uh, how many people do I know? I mean, one of my, um, uh, one of my best friends came here. Uh, one of my ex-wives came here. I know many people, anybody who lives in New York knows people who came from outside of New York to get away from this rural, hidebounds, often religious um, um, you know, blinded ignorance that controls a lot of places in small towns or even smaller cities in other parts of the country. Uh, there's a movie out. I saw <clears throat> a couple of movies recently uh, that are, you know, not made 20, 30, or 50 years ago. <laughs> Speaking of doing something new. And um, there's a movie called Mudbound, which I can really recommend. Of all the movies I've seen, Mudbound. It's a movie that came out a few months ago, and um, there are some scenes in this movie of really terrible violence. You might even go so far as to say a little gratuitous, but otherwise, it's an extremely good movie. I mean, it's well-acted, well-written, well-directed, and it takes place in uh, the 1940s in the Mississippi Delta, one of the poorest places <clears throat> and most ignorant places and most religiously ignorant places in the country, um, and probably in some ways still is. Um, and it's uh, but the relationship between um, between whites and blacks in the um, in the Mississippi Delta, and it's an extremely good movie and um, uh, really worth seeing. So I can recommend that. Anyhow, this article uh, continues. Last summer, the Nepalese government made it illegal for anyone to force a menstruating woman or girl to sequester herself, with violators subject to jail time or fines. But the law came with a grace period to give people time to absorb the new rules, and no punishments are to be handed out until this August. And all this, of course, is too late for Ms. Bayek, 22, who has been described as a talented, highly motivated young woman. Her family said she had been teaching illiterate women to read while finishing her own high school degree and sewing dresses at night. Radha Podell, a Nepali, Nepali women's rights activist, was struck by the fact that Ms. Bayek's family was relatively educated and well-off. This is a quote. This is what makes me upset, Ms. Podell said. Even people who consider themselves very sophisticated, very educated, this is in rural areas, very cultured, are still doing this because of religion. Because of religion. This is... Uh, and everybody knows about this. This is the dark, awful side of every religion, right? There is the enlightenment. There is the contact with some um, larger-than-life force with eternity that can bring the most astounding, the most in, almost indescribable peace and connection with, the, with, with life and death and even with other people since we're all— uh, part of one vast, large um, organism, right? I mean, the, the benefits of religion and the active benefits of religions, uh, the charities, um, the, the communities that people get, to, and this is every religion, but the dark side has been responsible for millions, tens of millions, tens of millions of deaths and uh, ignorance and shame and everything else. So it's really quite extreme. 
the practice of uh, women being sequestered, having to leave, menstruated women having to leave um, their houses and go live out in the, you know, in the huts or stables, is called chowpati, chowpati, which in the Nepali language means something like tree almond. Now listen to this. The vast majority of Nepal's population is Hindu, and in ancient Hindu culture, which is prolonged in these rural areas now, menstruating women were considered toxic. If they entered a temple, they polluted it. If they handled the family's food, everyone would become sick. If they touched a tree, that tree would never bear fruit. It's the same old thing. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Same old, same old thing. From the Garden of Eden story on, women are basically unclean. They're tools of the devil. Unclean. Like they have leprosy. And unholy. This is the worst childish fears of men, of men projected onto women. They're afraid women will devour them. Men are afraid women will devour them. They're afraid of the female, um, even in their own selves. Men are afraid of the female element or feeling in their own selves. And this is true in most religions and cultures in the world. and has been for, what, tens of thousands of years. I, th- I think sometimes, I think one of the reasons is I think men feel inferior because they, we, don't carry new life inside them for nine months and give birth and sustain life in the beginning. Men can see, even if it's unconscious, <clears throat> unconsciously that women are, um, are the ones that basically give life. Men plant a seed along with an egg. Of course, men never knew that. Probably a lot still don't. Um, but it's the women who carry this life inside them, who grow it in them, who give birth to it. And after they're born, in almost every place in the world, 99.9%, they nurture this life until this life is able to start sustaining itself. Um, There is something about, I think there's something about the innate softness and tenderness of most women that makes a lot of men crazy, just makes them crazy, and then act the way they do towards women. Anyhow, the article continues. According to her family, Miss Bayak dreamed of moving to Nepal's capital, Kathmandu, and living happily as a tailor. <clears throat> she lived in a remote village in western Nepal where her husband's family, who ran a shop, um, uh, resided. Her husband, a police officer in Kathmandu, said he had never forced, he said he had never forced his wife to follow the Chapaudi tradition, but that she insisted, see, this is part of it, this is the Stockholm Syndrome that has affected women all over the world for thousands of years. She insisted, you know, stand by your man, whatever he does. Oh, my man, I love him so. He beats me, but still blah, blah, blah. But she insisted because women in her part of Nepal had done this as long as anyone could remember. At this time of year, Nepal is quite cold, especially at night. And in Ms. Bayak's area, the temperature dropped close to freezing on Monday. Police officials said the shed where she was sleeping had no windows and they found fresh coals near her body, evidence that she had built a small fire. Last summer, another young woman died while following the Chalpati ritual. The woman had been banished by her family to a small hut where she was bitten by a poisonous snake. What this is is segregation, said Ms. Padel, the activist. Yes, what's well, new, right? And we as a society, Nepalese society, don't talk enough about it. We don't, add up, we don't talk about dignity. We don't talk about women's rights. Good luck to this activist. But, you know, this is what's happening all over the world. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. And it's encouraging to see it happening, no matter how badly it's put down, 
no matter how what horror stories you read about mass rapes and murders and kidnapping of uh, girls and women, is it worse now than it used to be? I don't know. But it seems worse. And that's an important awareness. It seems worse because slowly but surely, like a vast, you know, glacier, there are any glaciers left, you know, moving one way or another, this is melting. This glacier is melting of this ignorance, lack of awareness. Rude. Is this rude? Anyhow. <clears throat> so that's the article. And um, I was looking around on Wikipedia, and I don't know how up-to-date this information is, but, and I got it from uh, Wikipedia, like I said, so you never know. But unfortunately, it's probably not that far off. And um, <clears throat> in the Hindu faith, uh, menstruating, now, you know, when you look at this stuff on Wikipedia, really, you don't know how accurate it all is. I mean, you like to think it is because it has the appearance of accuracy. The language seems very um, very clear and very direct. Uh, often they quote, they always, uh, when it comes to nonfiction things, they quote studies. Uh, they quote, um, you know, scientific studies that have been done. So, I mean, I don't know how you are, but I tend to believe in things in Wikipedia. But if, if uh, <clears throat> I always uh, take it with a, a large lump of salt. I mean, it could possibly be true. It probably is true, a lot of this stuff. And uh, I don't know, but just as a qualification, who knows? In the Hindu faith, menstruating women, and I guess this is now, are traditionally considered ritually impure. They're ritually impure. What is impure? What does that mean? Impure sounds exactly what it, what it says. It's from the Latin impurus, from uh, in, or I am, meaning not, and purus, pure. But in the late Middle English, and this is where, see, this is where the Christianity and the paternalism gets even more intense. In late Middle English, uh, in the word origin, um, impure means in the sense of dirty, containing offensive matter. So you go, from, you go from being not pure, which was vague, but maybe very clear in its own way from the original Latin, um, but then dirty, containing offensive matter. So a menstruated woman is dirty. She's offensive, right? And the dominance of Catholicism, especially in England, including England, uh, back before um, they, uh, you know, one of the monarchs decided he had enough of the Pope and he wanted to get married for the 12th time or whatever it was, um, he created his own religion, you know, the uh, Church of England, Episcopalianism. Uh, religious rituals, sacrifices to God, God the Father, all these rules and all these rituals and taboos, this whole Judeo-Christian uh, thing, and, and I guess it includes a lot of um, Hindu, Hinduism and uh, Buddhism, too. It's created by men, right? So whatever. It's created by men. In the Old Testament and in creation stories and the other religions, God uh, or the gods, you look at all these religions, they created man first. Then they created women, right? Of course, it's much more believable when you really feel it and you think about it. And that's the way it was in religions that have been dormant for tens of thousands of years. It's much, it makes much more sense that the first human was a woman, not a man, who then gave birth. Is it? I don't know my, my archaeology very well, but I think was it the first human discovered by the Leakies in Africa? Was that a woman? The first uh, skeleton of a human being that they identified as a, a modern human being? But it makes sense that the first human was a woman who then gave birth to the rest of humanity. I mean, to me, that seems uh, more sensible. And it seems even like comforting in a way, right? Um, and why is it comforting? That's what's so appealing to me in a way 
as a break from the relentless maleness of almost all religions. I mean, think of the image in the Sistine Chapel of this big, you know, you know, bearded God touching forefingers with Adam. In the story, uh, in the story of Jesus' conception and birth, it's a much more female enterprise. I mean, it's more comforting in a way. And so, if you leave the big guy in the sky out of it. Which, what you have is a woman giving birth uh, in the Christian religion to a living God who then breaks all the ancient, especially Middle Eastern religious rules and treats women with relative love and understanding. This was a new thing in the world. This was, this was truly revolutionary that he would do this. And uh, what is with this guy? Who is this man who does this? Could he really be the son of Yahweh? The, who, Yahweh, the original bad dude is Yahweh, let me tell you. I mean, in, the, in that religion. And, he, you know, here's, uh, here's his, his, his son comes along. He's got, you know, long hair. He's walking around with sandals on. Who is this guy, right? This is uh, sort of like the modern version of, let's say, some lieutenant general, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, maybe, having a gay son. <laughs> uh, but, of course, that's been changing for a while now, right? Now, I'm certainly not saying that the Jewish religion didn't or doesn't have reverence or respect for women. And I'm certainly not supporting the anti-Semitic rhetoric around the persecution of, uh, and the crucifixion of Christ, which ultimately, I think, led to the Holocaust. You know, um, you could see a straight line there. But having said all that, it's no wonder uh, when you look back at the crucifixion story and that old story of Christ and that the macho Romans, the Romans were, you know, they really were macho, the, the, the original macho men. Uh, they had contempt for Christian men because they wouldn't fight. They didn't fight back. Uh, they, were, they were like uh, women. They were no better than women. And uh, at the time, also the Jewish ruling class, the religious class, I should say, of the time, they were glad to get rid of this long-haired hippie. This especially, suspiciously sort of, I guess what you would call almost like female, this female Jesus. I mean, let's get rid of him. He's uh, disturbing. He's upsetting the whole apple cart here. Anyway, according to Wikipedia, in the Hindu faith, according to a study quoted by Wikipedia, like I say, who knows, but maybe, menstruating women were are given rules to follow. During menstruation, women are not allowed to enter the kitchen and temples. I don't know how much this is observed in modern Hinduism and whether that's rule or, or city, too. Uh, they're not allowed to enter the kitchen and the temples, sleep in the daytime, whatever the hell that means. They're not allowed to bathe or wear flowers or have sex or touch other males or females. I hope that doesn't include their own children because uh, I'm sure the men aren't going to be you know, taking care of their own kids because the women are menstruating. In Islam, a menstruating female is prohibited from prayer and performing other religious activities such as fasting or um, circumambulating the Kaaba, the holy stone uh, in Saudi Arabia, um, in Mecca. If she so chooses to perform these during menstruation, including the Hajj, it will not be valid. This is in accordance with the law of uncleanliness of any blood. In the Torah, uh, specifically Leviticus, a menstruating female is considered ritually unclean. Anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Touching a menstruating female, touching an object she sat on or lain on, has lain on, or having intercourse with her, also makes a person ritually unclean. 
And it says, of course, the extent to which these rules are observed in modern Judaism varies depending on the degree of orthodoxy. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I don't know to what extent this taboo exists in Christianity. Maybe it doesn't exist at all in modern Christian uh, ritual and doctrine. But, of course, the concept of women as inferior to men and uh, being somehow tainted or unclean with original sin is still present in the Catholic Church. Uh, and probably in parts of the Southern Baptist South and the Mormons, too. I mean, this is the way things are, right? So when you look at the history of the country, uh, our country, going all the way back to the arrival of the first Europeans, what this America has become, to me, seems almost inevitable. The America that we read about in the papers, we see on TV, that we see on uh, social media, that we see our America. It's basically, it's become a realization of a perfect storm of what I would call ancient paternalism and still modern, an out-of-control lust for possessions and money, mass murder, foundational and continuing racism, and finally, you would have to say the country's devolution into what you would have to call celebrity worship. Talk about religions. A little like worship of celebrities. This is our America now, owned and run almost entirely by the rich, And in charge of it all, of course, as much as he's in charge of anything, we have President Pussy Grabber Jay Shithole. This is what we have come to. This is America. This is the President of the United States. My father is long dead. My father-in-law, who is a very decent, intelligent man who believes so much in the system of laws and the Constitution, I think to myself, my father and my father, they they would be shocked. They wouldn't even know what to say to know, to see that the man like this is the president of the United States. Um, and in right now, we're seeing the worst of America. You know, the best of America, which is freedom of religion, separation of church and state, free speech, the Bill of Rights, all that has now been obscured by this stuff. Uh, Trump and the current administration um, of fools and thugs and all these bigoted, corrupt servants of the rich in Congress, all these people, uh, the current, uh, um, you know, majority on the Supreme Court, pro-business, anti-civil liberties, racist, the whole thing. It didn't just show up uh, out of the blue. It's been going on from the beginnings of the country, right? Um, I think it's as in all of nature and in, in our relationships, right, too, in our bodies and our emotions and our souls, sometimes things, sometimes things have to get so bad, so bad that destruction and despair obscure everything else. And then with tremendous effort, and great pain, things start to move in the opposite direction. And we have to be first aware, then we have to work hard every day to move towards what's right. What's encouraging, what's encouraging, uh, whatever you can find that's encouraging, what's encouraging is I think all this current furor and popular uprising about immigrants, about men's treatment of women, uh, and other things, to combat all this awful shit that is raining down on us now. And not merely just to resist, Uh, It's not just enough to resist, but it generates a higher level of awareness in humanity. We really do have to hope for the best. Um, And what's going to change this? I don't know what's going to change it. I really don't know who's going to change this and what's going to change it. It's happening now. There is a change happening. Sometimes in the beginning, it's formless, like the way the the world or the earth or or the original uh, world or the earth was formed out of a void. It's formless. We can see little sparks of light sparking in the void here and there. And um, you just have to hope that um, before 
crazy men kill off the entire planet, um, that other men and women uh, will be able to turn it around. And uh, we'll see what happens. Sam Cooke, an incredible voice. What passion, what beautiful voice. Uh, too many strings in that version, but Sam Cooke. All right, before I go, this is Mike Fader. Before I go, well, let me repeat this uh, to everyone who has a smartphone. Uh, the Progressive Radio Network now has an app. All you have to do is go to the app store and um, on your cell phone and search the Progressive Radio Network. Search for it. And on this app, you can listen to live shows like this show, The Turning Point, and also uh, past archive shows. Um, all right. 
This has been Mike Fader. <clears throat> I am live here on PRN every Friday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. And if you want to get in touch with me, which I always am interested in hearing from people, please go to my website, which is faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. And thank you, as always, for listening.